yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I listen to some of your um, your podcasts and all. <laughs> I hope I can do what you what you envisioned or like you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm a very uh, go with the flow type individual. Like, if I'm encouraging beer, like we can only expect so much, right? Yeah. So you know, um, I'm definitely, I'm. I wasn't as good as expressing my excitement when we talked about it before, but I've definitely also been very excited about our conversation. Yeah, me too. I'm. Oh my god, I was super hyped. I'm super hyped now. <laughs> yeah, like it all of a sudden doesn't even feel like it's midnight now. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm making you. <laughs> I'm fully prepared. Uh, Don't worry. This is like a cool story to tell. Like somebody uh, asked me what I was doing like Saturday night. I was like, oh, I'm doing a podcast. I have to be up at midnight because the person is in Hawaii. Sorry. you like, so I'm cool with that. <laughs> you cool for I'm, you? <laughs> I'm cool with that. Not a problem at all. Yeah. So... I'm usually terrible. I'm usually terrible at uh, the introduction parts when I have guests, so I want to do it as early as possible. So, yeah. Um, of course, I'm Frank D, aka Floss Dog. Thank you guys for listening to Floss Dog Radio. And who do I have the pleasure of speaking with today? My name is Michi Kamigasa Baron. Um, and do you want to hear a little bit about me? Is that where I plug myself? <laughs> of course. I want to hear a lot I'm and a little. From... A lot and a little. Oh my God, if you get me started, I'm going to keep talking. Um, <laughs> I, I guess primarily, um, so I'm from Hawaii, um, and you may know that as being a part of the U.S., but um, we like to call ourselves occupied <laughs> by the United States um, because it's just like a very recent and illegal history of the U.S., occupying um Hawaii and let's see um I'm, I work on like a lot of different gigs right now um in terms of just like what my job is now right um I write for some an organization called the Hawaii Review and I just graduated with my master's of um in linguistics at University of Hawaii and um now I'm a PhD student at the University of British Columbia in Canada um, but I'm, but COVID reasons, I'm staying in Hawaii. So, yeah, I guess that's a, a lot of stuff. <laughs> wow, what a dream! Um, maybe to... one more note. Go ahead. What? I was, oh yeah. I was, I was just I gonna say, uh, what a dream Sorry? to. <laughs> I was just gonna say, what a dream to go to school in a cold place, but still live in a paradise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I wish. I'm not really mad about that at all. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Would you have one more note? Oh, yeah. So, my note is that, so I'm I'm not indigenous Hawaiian, but I, my family came to Hawaii in the late 1800s from Japan. So, there were a lot of people who came in during that time to work on plantations. And so my family is one of those, um, and they're from Hiroshima, Japan, and when they moved to Hawaii, they spoke Hawaiian and kind of integrated into Hawaiian culture. 
Um, but I, I did want to make that distinction because I feel like it's important. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's interesting because, um, like, once you told me that you were doing research, um, I had to kind of step up my research game because, like, I didn't want to not yeah. have done research as well. So, um, yeah. it wasn't anything super major. I watched a couple documentaries. But um, one of the things that uh, stuck out that kind of goes with what you mentioned is um, where they were saying that the government has to make a distinction between, like, Native Hawaiian and just Hawaiian because of, like, yeah. the history. And I was like, you know what? I never thought about that um, yeah. growing up learning about Hawaii because we don't, as Americans, especially in the Deep South, especially in the black community where I'm from and like what the education system is, we didn't really get too much in depth in depth about anything. Um, and we definitely didn't spend a lot of time talking about Hawaii. Like I might've learned something about Hawaii like maybe once in elementary school and it was nothing compared to, you know, the things that you shared on your IG and like the things that I saw in the documentary as far as the history. So it's like, this is crazy that like, you know, how America paints that picture. But then at the same time, you can't really be surprised because, you know, they kind of whitewash everything historical and, you right. know, it's like revisionist history. So, but definitely that's, that's why I, want, I really wanted to reach out to you to um, just get your voice out there just because I know that there's so many people that I know personally that have no idea and I know if it's people that I know it's people that they know and et cetera, et cetera. so like it's definitely a story that should be shared because um, it is something yeah you know what's interesting is that like you said that like your experience of like not really learning about Hawaii well like even in Hawaii when we're learning about when we when it, it, so I, I grew up in like public school system in, like in Hawaii and so we have we do grow up with like Hawaiian history which is like a separate class um, but like in our American history books for example um, we don't learn about this stuff and then like in, in a Hawaiian class we, we do learn portions of it but I feel like even then it's whitewashed it's like not always even written by indigenous people a lot of times it's written with the voice of people who are historians who are who are white Americans, and so I'm even learning. Like it, it, it took me to get, like as someone who's from Hawaii and has like a long history of like my family being in Hawaii since the 1800s, right? Like my family was there, you know, when a lot of these things were happening, and yet I'm only learning about a lot of how bad it was now in grad school. Like it's just insane to me how like even in Hawaii, like even as like a local myself, you know, like our history books are written in the, from a pr certain perspective, you know? And so I think it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot myself now. I'm enraged and wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, in, it's just mind blowing to me. Wow. That is something like, uh, because you know, like, and really it took me to like have booked the interview with you to really think about these things. But like even just this morning, I was thinking like, how did it ever make sense to me that there's this state that's not connected to the rest of the states, 
They speak a different language from the rest of the states. All of the people look different from everybody that I've ever seen in the rest of the states. But yet, I'm supposed to just accept it as, oh, it's, it's America too. Like, yeah, this is just another piece yeah. of America. Like, that makes zero sense. Um, yeah. And and one thing that I also, I wanted to ask you about, like, uh, you know, to see if you learned more about it and can give more insight on it, because I didn't know anything about it. Um, in one of the documentaries I was watching, they were uh, showing that uh, in 93, Bill Clinton, like, uh, gave an apology to the yeah hope was it to the native hawaiians or was it just the state of hawaii mm-hmm. or what was what was this like apology thing about and like what is like the feedback from the hawaiian community like i guess then and now and like what you know like what what because that i thought that was like pretty crazy to see like a pres a sitting president giving an apology to uh, something that's supposed to be a state that's a part of America already. So I was right. like, "Wow! Like, right. what is what is this?" So can you can you talk more about that? Of course, yeah. So I'm going to go through a little bit, of, like a, a little short, like history kind of note, right? So in 1893, this is kind of when a bunch of plantation owners who had developed plantations and you know their own businesses in Hawaii. Um, they wanted things to be cheaper, right? They wanted they wanted their exporting of um, crops and stuff like that to be cheaper, right? So they they basically collected and they said we're gonna over we're gonna like take out the queen, and they were backed by the U.S. Marines. But what had happened was this was completely like it, although it was backed by the Marines, it wasn't considered legal. So the president at the time, the U.S. president at the time, um, President Cleveland, was like, dude, that is not illegal. And he said, that's an act of war, guys. Like he, so he said it was wrong. And um, at the time, a lot for the Hawaiians that had, you know, been living at the time, it was, um, a lot of people died due to disease. So um, there were, our foreign brought disease, by the way. But um, there were 40,000 people living in uh, Native Hawaiians at that time, and 37,000 of the 40,000 signed petitions um, against this overthrow. Mm. And um, they brought it to the Senate, the U.S. Senate, and they said that, um, I guess this is written in, like, historical documents, um, people in the U.S. Senate were moved to tears and said that we can't, this is not a legal action. Um, but during the Spanish-American War, um, they just, the U.S. decided um, that Hawaii was a necessity um, due to military interest, and so they just took it. <laughs> and so it was like, there was no legal, so all of these like things that are placed into, you know, like, U.S. law to prevent these things from happening, because, I mean, this is something that's relatively recent, right, um, in history. Um, yeah. So they were, they were already, like, things placed into law that these are, you know, you need this and that in order to, I guess, take more land, right, or to make a place of territory. But those initiatives were, like, all ignored because they were like, well, we need it for, <laughs> because it's something to do with military, right? So um, it was in 1898 when 
um, Hawaii just became a territory. And it wasn't, it was just like, we decided <laughs> because of, you know, American interests, basically. And yeah, so, you know, I guess in 1993, that's when Bill Clinton was like, okay, guys, we're sorry. <laughs> because, right, um, ever since then, I mean, Hawaiians have been asking for sovereignty, you know. Um, and, you know, sometimes that does include people who are not indigenous, but I think generally it's like consider people who are indigenous. Um, but I think that there's, it was a broader statement that was like apologizing to Hawaiians basically. And, and by that I mean indigenous Hawaiians. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not the story that they tell in the history books for sure. Because it is like a, because every other acquisition of America, we get an explanation of how it happened. Like it was mm-hmm. the Louisiana Purchase, or we bought this land from Russia. But it's like with Hawaii, mm-hmm. like we don't say that we bought it. We don't say that it was a war. You know what I'm saying? Like they kind of yeah. cover it up. But that's really that is just vile, like despicable stuff, man. Um, and it kind of makes me feel guilty, like. I, it makes me not even want to visit Hawaii. Like, I just feel like I'm trespassing. Like, I'm not supposed to be there. Like, nobody's supposed to be there. Right. It's it's so complicated. Like, it's like, you know, yeah. I think another thing that's just, like, really terrible, like, during that time, um, this is also, so, like, around the time of annexation, was also the time of just a mass death of Hawaiian life, right? Because of um, not having immunity to foreign disease, right? So there wasn't this, there wasn't this outrageous like war that needed to take place because people were so sick already. And like, even the people who were existing, if they weren't dying, then like 90% of the population died um, because of foreign disease. So that was around that time. So we have a lot of people just dying and like if they're not dying themselves then like you know they're mourning the death of someone else and the americans blamed it the death of hawaiians on not being christian or and, and like other hawaiian aspects of culture right so they were like oh you're heathen hula is what in exciting Satan and there are like all these articles that I was reading recently it was just like all these people saying it's because of you <laughs> mm. and it just makes me think like like in Hawaii we have a word that's called like it essentially means like dirty or like vile but we call it pilau which is like that is like the most pilau shit ever like to you know like be the reason why a lot of people are to like bring disease and then also just like blame it on people who were there and who were like dying and like kind of using that to like okay now <laughs> now that you're weak let's like <laughs> and like we'll, we'll take you as a territory basically you know um uh, like with that with that aspect also came like um forbidding language to be spoken right um so like forbidding the usage of hawaiian 
language on on school grounds um, and forcing people to speak English. And yeah, there's just a lot of things wrapped into one. Like I think that like one like huge aspect of that is that like if you're forcing people to, you're like literally silencing people. You know? Yeah. You're like, yeah. There's just so much wrapped into that time. It's it's so crazy because it's like number one. I, I just thought about so many things like as you were saying that um, the first thing that yeah. came to mind is that old saying that hurt people hurt people and like basically the white man as a collective is a group of hurt people like they kind of beat each other up and like suffered amongst each other and then once they figured each other out they spread out and just started Mm -hmm. trying to hurt everybody else they did it to Africa they Mm -hmm. did it to the Native Americans they did it to Hawaii like Everywhere they stepped foot, they did it. Like, they did it in Australia. Uh, They did it in Asia. Like, they did it everywhere. Like, so it's crazy how that works on, like, a macro level and a micro level individually. Um, And it just shows that that's just not the way of life. Like, people shouldn't do that. Like, people should be aware of that. But, um, and another thing that it made me think of is that basically they treated Hawaiians, the native Hawaiians, like a mixture between uh, the Native Americans and the Africans from the slave trade. Because with the Native Americans, they brought the disease, they killed them off, plus they had a war, plus they like pretended to be friends with them, but really kicked them off their land. And then with the Africans, they abused them and just really just took their culture away like no you can't speak your native language it Mm -hmm. is forbidden like we're rewriting your history like if you're not like us then you're wrong basically so and and you would think that because we just said that it was relatively recent history like it wasn't super long ago you would think that we would have you know progress further than that like post-civil war or whatever but it's like it doesn't matter like they just do what they do like especially if it can if they get to tell the story so it's just so crazy man right like even in even in hawaii when we're learning about these things it's so watered down and i was talking to my cousin the other day and i was just like why do you think that they didn't you know outright say like they blamed it on Hawaiian culture, you know? Like, they blamed Hawaiian death on Hawaiian culture. And they also, like, they were parts of our history class, too, where they were like, oh, yeah, um, Hawaii kind of, Hawaiians, like, eventually didn't fight back because they wanted to be a part of the U.S. And it was just like, <laughs> like, no, like, I'm reading only now, like, you know, these petitions were signed. Basically, Hawaiians did everything right. Like, they did... They did. They they did what what white Americans wanted, right? They signed the petitions and did the le- like legal actions, right? But they also did like indigenous ways of protesting as well. But like none of it was recognized because they feel like they were so dehumanized, right? Um, that they were just kind of like, oh yeah, well, let's just you know take this land <laughs> uh, for ourselves. But you know, like yeah, you're you're really. Um, you're right when you're, you know, making those comparisons. 
to both um, uh, what white Americans did to like black people and also to Native Americans. But like, I guess I never really drew a lot of the comparisons um, with what they did to black slaves and like um, black people generally um, until I guess preparing for this um, talk with you. Um, I read something, oh my gosh, can I just like read from this? Sure. Um, so basically a lot of the plantation people moved to Hawaii because of the union boycott of Southern Sugar. So mm. the union, they boycotted Southern Sugar. So Hawaiian exports, sugar exports, which is the, what our plantations were, which is like, um, why, uh, which which had like Hawaiian laborers and also why my family was in Hawaii at the time, right? Um, the plantation exports from Hawaii rose over 500%. And so that's when all these people from the U.S. were moving to Hawaii. Mm. And that's, that's something that justified Hawaii becoming United States territory. And that's when Americans started to gain political and economic power in the Hawaiian kingdom. Mm. It's always the money, man. Like, the white man is greedy. And it's, it, I think it's so insane to just see how deeply different types of histories are connected. Like, different stories of marginalization that we know of today, right? Yeah. Are connected. History like, repeats just, itself. I think man. that's really insane. What was that? History repeats itself. Yeah, and history is, I think it's just, it's just so interesting, like, it repeats itself and it's also everlasting, right? Like, I feel like sometimes we talk about Hawaii as like a post-colonial society, but it's not, right? It's, it's it, we're, we're, we're continuing to be colonized by like the United States, right? And like, I think the same is to say with any place that's been colonized and, you know, not necessarily making a statement on like, what needs to be done about that but like it's just interesting to see i guess the lasting effects of things like this right um yeah it's it's really it's a there's a lot to learn i think even for myself right um but there was like another thing also was just like pitting against um pitting different ethnic groups against each other on plantations um and I think that this is something that, I don't know. It, I, again, I'm like drawing parallels. Um, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot. When, when I realized how, how um, people who owned plantations in Hawaii basically um, intentionally brought in people from different groups and like not, didn't just hire Hawaiians, but like hired people, brought in people from Japan and China, Portugal, in the Philippines um, and they were saying okay this is gonna you know this is the way that we make our profits the highest right because these people are gonna be willing to engage in cheap the cheapest um, labor right and they did this they, they took it they, they ended up taking from different ethnic groups because they didn't want them to be able to speak the same language and they wanted to be able to like feed these different groups lies about each other Mm. So they would fight with each other instead of fighting with the people who owned 
um, the plantations and yeah. the people who basically had, you know, the who made kept labor so poor, right? Uh, like, like the, the labor rights so poor, and like their profits so poor, right? For for laborers, right? And I just feel like that's something that that we're seeing again in like history now, right? Divide and conquer. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. Divide and conquer, man, because they did something similar, like, with the African slaves, where they would, like, intentionally not put the same tribes together so they don't speak the same language. You know what I'm saying? So they can't communicate, so they can't cooperate and work together. Um, And it's crazy, man, because, like, think about that. Like, you said they moved to the plantation owner's moved to Hawaii because the union was boycotting the South, right? Yeah. Like, think about, like, they would rather not pay the black people as in the former slaves. They would, like, rather not do that so much that they'll just go all the way across the world to Hawaii just to, like, pay people pennies. It's like yeah, and, they and hate people them. that much that they won't even do what makes sense. Yeah, like, oh my god, it's it's so true. It's, it's crazy, like, man. Like it's insane, isn't it? One of my um one of my old uh, high school teachers that I'm friends with on Facebook. His name is a uh, Doctor Inferinu. Shout out to him. But um, he always <laughs> says that uh, racism is a disease. Like yeah because that's how people treat it like people really act like they can't help themselves when it comes to their racist beliefs and like it hurts them to do the opposite of it and it's just like it is a shame and that's why a big part of the reason why we're in that cycle like it's a group of people that refuse to give give up that ideology of they're different i can't like them I'm the best. I know better than everybody else. You know, it's a group of people that just can't give up that idea. And it just creates this perpetual cycle of people just fighting for their humanity, literally. Like, with the Hawaiians, like, they dehumanize them. Um, In the documentary, they were talking about... And you also were... uh, You uh, put on your IG some uh, images of when they took over the power from I don't want to mispronounce her name the last part of it is Kalani uh, Queen, uh Kalani yeah, yeah. <laughs> like um like I heard the story on that and I'm like how like so could you like kind of like get a listeners like the backstory of like Lilio Kalani and like that whole situation where she kind of got her power stripped away from her? Yeah, so Queen Liliokalani was um, the, the sitting monarch at the time when Hawaii was taken over by the United States, right? And basically she was placed under house arrest by these businessmen. And they said, we're gonna, we're gonna take your land basically. And they, they, they were armed and Again, like the, the U.S. Marines were there as well, and so she, you know, she wrote all these 
petitions and she and she wrote all these documents saying that she protested um but she said i want to do this peacefully you know like i think that at that point she mm, yeah there were a lot of things where i think i think that the decision was made that they weren't going to you know they didn't have the means to you know have a war against the united states right we're a small little kingdom right mm. um yeah so she ended up you know writing songs and you know i guess um hawaiian indigenous tradition is to kind of like um you know tell stories and and to kind of orally have kind of like um the speaking of okay this is something that we protest and like we have different means of protesting and yeah i don't know she protested in every you know way possible but it was just really interesting because i feel yeah when i see those images it's just so it makes me so mad because obviously people in hawaii just like to this day just really really have a lot of respect for this woman um just for how much grace she had in that time and to see her depicted in like such a <laughs> dehumanizing way these, these comics um you can just tell that um she wasn't seen as royalty like she was seen as not even human right man and this and that's another thing that uh that's like a parallel between Hawaiians and black people in America is this concept that uh, I learned from an old professor of mine, shout out to Dr. Sims, um, called learned helplessness, where basically it's a situation where you've seen in the past that no matter what you do, you can't control the environment around you. So even if your environment changes, you just stop trying because you just don't have the will anymore. And his example was uh, like if you tied a chain, if you if a baby uh, elephant was born and as soon as they were born, you wrapped a chain around their leg and tied them to a tree and they could never move. And like they grow up and they're attached to this chain. Like if it's, if you take like a couple years and you take the chain off, he's not gonna try to go outside of that area because he's tried so many times before and it's never worked that it's just not mm. even in his consciousness to even care to try anymore. And like, mm-hmm. that's definitely, I think the situation with a lot of black Americans based on history, like we fought, we've done it peacefully, we've done it violently and like the results are still the same. So, the group of people that are fighting become smaller and smaller because Mm -hmm. of history. And it's like, to see Mm -hmm. what happened to Lilio Kalani is like, Mm -hmm. we just watched the person in charge, like literally get their power stripped away. Like what the fuck can we do? Like, yeah, it's a shame, man. And it's like, to this day, if we, if we're people who speak up against you know, powers, like, colonial powers or, like, like white people who are maybe, like, doing, you know, have similar mindsets, right, that, that we see that are historic mindsets, right, of, like, racism and whatnot, right? I feel like 
yeah, we, there's nothing we can do. Like, every time I speak up about this, I feel like a lot of anxiety. What are people going to, you know, like, how is this going to be perceived by people? Like, am I going to be considered this, like, angry Hawaiian person, right? Or, like, local person in Hawaii? Or, like, am I you know doing this am i too soft like am i too you know like am i am i coming at this too hard like there's just i feel like there's nothing you can do that's right when you're when you're kind of whistleblowing this 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 stuff right like it's i think it's like it's like another form of silencing <laughs> yeah it's like uh it's terrible and it's also it's even worse because the the image that they portray Hawaii as is like fun loving, laid back, nice, friendly. So like to see a Hawaiian that's pissed off about shit that's going on and that's been going on is like, wait, what what's going on? Like that's not the Hawaiian way. Like that's not what it's like on TV. I thought you, all you guys were happy because da 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 da. But it's like, man, like, people really need to know that history, man. And it's just a shame, like, because to watch the documentary and, like, to see people, like, actively fighting, like, in the modern day to, for independence, literally, like, for independence. Like, I don't want to be a part of this country. Like, I never did. It's like, how is that too much to ask? Like, what are we... Yeah. What are we gaining from not letting this country be its own? But never mind, like, America is greedy, like you said before. So, like, because if that was the case, yeah. like, then they would have given black people their own land and given Native Americans their own land. And, like, it wouldn't even be yeah. a situation at all. But, like, this is America. Yeah, this, this is America. It's it's just, you know something that um, came to mind when you were talking about just like the mentality of like someone who would be so racist, right? Some, I, I was thinking about it since you said it, and sometimes I just wonder what the psychology behind that is. Like, I wonder if it's like it's like a a way to com, com like mm, to comfort themselves, right? Like, like if you're thinking of some people who like came in and like they're taking all these things and they're like i need some way to justify it and make myself feel better because is that what you know some of these people who did this i mean a lot of them were religious people you know like how can they how can they kind of like say i'm a moral person but then also be like i'm (laughs) like basically killing people or like you know silencing people or like and i feel like i feel like the way that they justify this is is by racism right like by saying that people aren't really the same as them right so like like i I wonder if it's like a way to kind of make themselves feel better you know like it's like it's like both like a precursor and also a response to like what they've done if that makes sense i mean they're like that kind of racism is like literally you're born into it is fed to you as you grow up at home from your friends from what you watch on tv because even if your family isn't overtly racist like from a white person's perspective the media Mm -hmm. is enough 
for you to subconsciously become racist. Like if you just watch the five o'clock news, you're gonna have a different opinion of black people compared to white people in America. And it's like, yeah. if your family actually believes that and at the dinner table, you know, you hear your dad and your mom saying this and that about other races and how they're not as good. And it's like, as a kid, you know, especially pre-information era, you literally don't know any better. Like, that's all you know. So that's yeah. kind of why, that's kind of what confuses me is how is new racist now. Because it's like way too much information out, way too much diversity, way too much way too many good examples i don't understand like how people can just be so hardcore like millennials that are racist like i don't get it it's like these are the people yeah. that it has to be like the parents that are like hardcore about it like because it's it's a part of their culture um i was just watching yeah. a um a joe rogan uh interview with a guy that like does interviews with uh people from the ku klux klan and he's like, yeah. there's been presidents that have been members of the Ku Klux Klan. Like, <laughs> it's ingrained. In, it's a, it's like a traditional thing. It's beyond just like what they see on your skin. It's like literally how they're raised, what they learn, what they're taught. Like, they're taught that they're the hero of every story. Like, it's no story exactly. in history where that white man is the loser especially the exactly. american history so it's like you you grow up yeah. with these people become adults like the things you teach them as kids it stays with them like most people remember the shit that they learned fifth grade and under as opposed to the other side so that's the stuff where they're really mm -hmm. banging it in your head like this is the american way like this is why we do the national anthem in elementary school did you guys have to do that in hawaii yeah, we ha well, so we have our whole we have a Hawaiian anthem as well, but we're supposed to, we still said the Pledge of Allegiance, and you know, I think growing up we had I remember we had to do both. So like in even like at football games and stuff like that, we do both the Hawaiian anthem, but we also have to do the American anthem. And a lot of people are like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's just yeah. Um, there's that justification though, right? Like. There's still there's a there's there's a portion of uh, people living in Hawaii who consider themselves like American nationalists as well. So uh, it's just it's it's very complicated like weird history where I feel like sometimes even people who are experiencing that kind of discrimination and like historical marginalization and racism and all of that like kind of think that they're like tricked to thinking that they're benefiting from you know all these like, like colonialism and stuff like that and so I feel I don't know I just I feel like that's maybe why um yeah it's still it's still something that's going on in, in Hawaii um yeah that's that um that divide and conquer again because um literally every side like if it's two sides to something like one of those sides is split into four different sides so it's like 
Yeah. You can be pro Hawaii, but pro Hawaii slash this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like you still end up yeah. beefing with somebody else who's pro Hawaiian. Same thing with Republicans and Democrats or whatever. And Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. Like it's it's so <laughs> much division. Like that's why nothing ever changes. Like it's just because that's yeah. what they want. Like everybody's divided except the white people. Like the white people know what they want. Like they've been doing this mm-hmm. shit for too long. Like you won't see them. Yeah. <laughs> you won't see them shitting on each other, stabbing each other in the back. Like even if some shit goes down, they try to cover each other tracks and shit. Like yeah. you know they stick together. Like they do that shit. Like everybody else is mm-hmm. tripping and divisive and <sighs> it's a whole thing, man. It's a whole mess. I feel like it's it's hard because I I can't always blame people who you know are are people of color who are like cited or like are kind of internalizing these these power structures right because that's like their reality and I feel like a lot of times we're like taught that like oh we need to we need to display the system and that's just you know there's there's no way of fighting it so we have to just I guess face the truth or, or like I don't know just like face the reality of like the fact that like white people are in power you know yeah. and like kind of just accept our place um yeah like in Hawaii in the public school system here we're often just told like yeah Hawaii is like maybe like the like no, like the la- number 50 um in terms of like our um the way that we I don't know like our, our test scores or whatever and so we're kind of always kind of just taught that like the mainland U.S. or like the, the U.S. is kind of like superior in a lot of ways, right? And a lot of this is based on language ability. Like so, um, so like the plantations, because a lot of people were coming in from different um, ethnic, ethnic groups, like they actually made their own language, which is like um, a language called Boy Creole English, um, which we call Pidgin here. And basically like, a lot of people um, in the education system is like that's not a language that you can speak and that's what makes Hawaiian people or people who are from Hawaii like less than right than white Americans you need to learn how to talk like a white person basically or like a mainland US accent in order to um, uh, get a better job or like integrate a better school or whatever so i think it's like really pervasive when you think about how like it's not it's like it's like your whole identity is kind of taken from you and you're like told you have to be pushed down but it's also like your language which is like the makeup of your reality in a sense right like it's the makeup of your conversations right and to say like you can't speak that language because that's like you know, not not as good as that's inferior. It's like, oh, it's just mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, like, it's mind control. It's like just domination, colonization, all of that. Like, when you take away, when you take away someone's, like, communication methods and, and really make it seem bad, like, like, that sucks because, like, you're creating more divisiveness like now you're creating people who want to keep the language and people who want to pretend to be the other side like 
Yeah. Same thing with uh, black people, for sure. Sorry. I just said same thing with uh, black people, for sure. Um, Right. You know, put in this quote unquote white voice um, and uh, code switching is what they call it. Yeah. And it's a shame that people have to do that. Like, white people don't even know what it means to do that. Like, and that's one thing that is probably the most enviable trait of a white person is like they can always be themselves everywhere. (laughs) Like, they never have to tone it down. They never have to adjust. Like, everything is already catered to them. So, like, they're free as hell. Yeah. It's insane. insane. Um, Like, so, my mom and my mom's family um, is, like, they they speak this frail language. And so they're, when they speak English, their accent is so, is, is pretty strong. So my mom's been fired from jobs because of this. And even in Hawaii, she's been placed in like speech therapy because of this. And uh, there's a lot of people in Hawaii who also have to just do this code switching thing. And it's just like, it's just, it breaks my heart to see how many people who are like speakers of this language are like, so like they themselves think that it's something that's bad. Like they themselves like have all these thoughts like, it's you know something that's to be ashamed of when I don't know like it, it, it's like what you said like you you can't fully when I see my my mom's family kind of like in, in the mainland US like engaging with like like white Americans like I just see them like just tense up you know <laughs> yeah that sucks um, man they have to put on a different act in order to feel like, because they feel like that's the requisite, that's the requisite to gain respect, you know? And that that in itself is just like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. It, it, it's... White people don't know what that feels like. Yeah. Which is crazy. And the other crazy side of it is like, white people don't know what that feels like. But when, like, a person of color goes around a group of white people, like, they automatically feel it. But, and, like, they have to kind of work hard to be accepted, you know? Like, that's the whole point of you code switching, because you can't be yourself and be accepted. Mm. But when you get a white person in another culture, you know, the other cultures are so accepting, you know what I'm saying? Like, and communal (laughs) and friendly in comparison you know what i'm saying like so that white person can still feel free like they don't have to try to act like whoever they're around like it's preferred that they don't like (laughs) yeah but it's like they'll never know what that feels like man and it's like but yet they say that like people of color have nothing to complain about because everything is equal and like they'll never know they'll never understand yeah I think it's just so interesting because, so like obviously like, so like, um, I know that there's, there's like frails from the U.S. that are, are like made like African-American, like mixed, like, I don't know, frails from, I'm not sure the name, but I know for a fact that there's like African language mixed with English kind of frails that exist like within parts of the U.S. And then, um, 
I'm not sure if it's like technically a Creole or not, but anyway, there's like some mixture, right? Um, at least in Hawaii's context, like this this mixture of languages was basically like kind of the result of Hawaiian being taken away. Um, and also just like uh, Hawaiian language being taken away from people, right? And um, also like other immigrants coming in, like um, Japanese laborers and stuff like that, or, like, Chinese um, laborers were basically told that they couldn't speak their language, right? Like, especially during that time where like, like my family was being, was told that they like shouldn't speak their language. So my family lost the ability to speak Japanese. So basically all they speak is this like Creole, mixture of Hawaiian and English and Japanese um, language, right? And, but like, yet they're still disrespected. It's like, I don't know, I think mm, my takeaway from this is that like, no matter like what you do to appease like the whoever's in power, right? It's still not enough because you can never reach that. Yeah. Like, and and not even that, not even that you can't reach it is that they won't accept you no matter how good you are at it. Like, right. they just won't accept you. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. It's insane to see so many parallels. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, um, um, it's a book that I was told to read in college, but I didn't. I'm really bad about reading books. I think I started it, but I didn't finish it. But it's called uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's basically about, like, how white people took over the world with those things um, and really, like, started dominating things because of, like, science and weapons and greed, basically, and violence. Mm-hmm. It's really a conversation like that doesn't get talked about enough because like, you know, people, especially now will say that you're like racist and anti this and anti that. But it's like it's not anti anything. It's like these are the facts. These are the things that have happened repeatedly in history that have never been rectified, that have never been addressed, that have always been played as okay. So like. If, right. if we're gonna call out everything else in 2020 like we mm-hmm. gotta get to the root of it everybody is talking about you know the systematic racism and we have to stop systematic racism but it's like that means really changing everything about the system as it is and I don't think people yeah. understand what it takes to do that because like just right. talking about it is not enough because we've been talking about it like way too long and like and voting about it even yeah. isn't enough like yeah because that's still the yeah. system that's not changing the system right <laughs> like mm-hmm. and it's gonna get back yeah. to where it was before so it's like yeah something really dramatic has to change like for it to be for real because um otherwise it's gonna continue to be history repeating itself and the people of color, for, you know, fighting for equality everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, just like for starters, they can like correct the history books, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I feel like even 
like you know what you're saying about like not really learning about Hawaiian culture I feel like I feel like my history knowledge is just so weak when it comes to just like knowing about anything other than you know learning about or like my knowledge on like United States culture and like United States history like from any other perspective other than white Americans right like I feel like I don't even really know that much right unless I'm like trying my best to like read it now um but I feel like I feel like there's not enough effort being done to like make make sure that history books are accurate or not ha- having this like this like storybook kind of fairy tale as if like the United States is always the good guy or American white Americans are always you know the ones that eventually did the right thing <laughs> right yeah like we still waiting on that right thing to happen really like, yeah. <laughs> we still waiting on that part of the story, man. Like, but that revisionist yeah. history. But what you were saying about the language, uh, it reminded yeah. me another parallel um, with the Harlem Renaissance in America when it was a lot of writers um, and performers just really trying to bring like black culture to the forefront and like preserve it um Mm. and one of my favorite poets uh nikki giovanni she was like uh like on the tail end of that and a part of a part of that was uh ebonics and ebonics is basically like black language like the black version of english And yeah, and basically Nikki Giovanni, like her and James Baldwin and a few other like prominent writers in the Harlem Renaissance, they were really trying to make an effort to preserve Ebonics because they felt like this is ours and this shouldn't be. Uh, they we shouldn't let them shame us for having this language like we don't have to speak their perfect English we can speak how we speak because that's how our ancestors spoke spoke when they came over here and learned the language and it's ours and they can't claim that so we shouldn't let them take that away so it was like a real movement to like if you're a poet you use this language if you're a writer you have it in your books this newspaper is dedicated to like preserving this language and but like of course it ended up kind of fading away and getting you know shunned eventually um i guess until hip-hop basically when they started like taking hip-hop words and putting them in the dictionary it kind of came full circle but um it reminds me of that and like it makes me wish like and it makes me wish that you know we kind of fought harder for it because um you know the black culture was really strong like it was literally a movement then it wasn't just like a t-shirt or a fad or hashtag it was like a group of people who were about keeping black culture alive via music and performance and writing and plays like it was a really dope time like and i feel like now i'm just super critical of it just because i'm not really big into the social media thing because like i feel like it doesn't really mean anything like 
it's the same stuff over and over again like and it's not the same as like what they were doing in the Harlem Renaissance like now it's just people trying to fit in and copy everybody else and it's like and it's so many it's so much divisiveness there's so many different stories being thrown at you it's like I really try to disconnect as much as I can as often as I can just because like it's just so crazy like with trying to do anything for the positivity of society nowadays because like everything yeah. kind of turns into an argument now yeah yeah I wonder if you so what you're saying like this is I'm really happy that you brought this up because um so right now for the Hawaii Review, I'm writing about something that my mom did um, when she was in high school. And basically, she wrote a high school art, uh, column where she, like, wrote newspaper articles about her school in, in Pidgin, which is, like, the Hawaii Creole English, um, and wrote it in that language. And it was, like, what's insane to me now is that, like, I guess people um, kind of generally feel, like, this language is like not supposed to be in, you know, in poetry is not supposed to be in school is not academic. It's strictly it because it's considered this broken English or something like that. Right. But it's a way to reclaim it. And I think what's interesting is that like, it's not when you're learning about like, I guess, um, so my focus in, in linguistics is kind of like your brain processes of like, like listening to language and stuff like that. And when you're looking at what people are doing with, with, um, with these other languages that are considered not or like inferior forms of English, right? It's it's not the case in terms of what your brain is doing, right? And like, um, what's interesting about that is, is, I guess it's just like there needs to be like, I guess our own ways of reclaiming culture, right? But you're right, like it's I don't know, it's like it's like a double-edged sword. It's hard to it, sometimes it feels hard to 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 do it the, I don't know, I, I find that it's hard to do it the right way without feeling really, really overwhelmed, right, with all these feelings of, like, am I just a poser, at, in a sense, you know, like, mm. because I'm, because it's just putting it on social media or something like that, right? Uh, uh, yeah, man, that's another reason why I hate social media, man, because you'll really want to do something genuine, but then the back of your mind is like uh but i hate when people do stuff like this because they never seem genuine but it's like you know that's not yeah. you but like that's yeah it is the double-edged sword of social media but um you know these are the times where you know i wish you know you could just like write in a newspaper and write a column in a newspaper and just do it and everybody in the country sees it instead of like <laughs> an instagram post like yeah those days are over with though but um i wish because that's kind of like what they were what like nick giovanni and james baldwin were doing they were basically like saying like we're scholars like we're proven scholars like the whole country knows we're smart black or white yeah. but we're gonna use this yeah. language that they say is broken because it's ours and like we're smart enough and we're brave enough to make it cool and we just got to keep it y'all right. so like we just yeah. need more people that are brave and actually genuine to you know be on the forefront 
and make it real and like not you know sell out at the end of the day because it's like yeah those are the people that were at the front forefront of that movement like they were fearless like they were not afraid to be themselves and like protect what they felt like needed protecting but it's like now i think that's another part of it too man like people are a lot less sentimental just because you know the the modern age of instant gratification is like if it's not what you want right now then what's the point and like people don't really right. hold on to shit anymore you know it's always mm-hmm. about the next thing like i'm super sentimental and like mm-hmm. i'm like like 30 percent away from being a hoarder but i feel like <laughs> come on like that's what people that's what like civilization is like people collect shit you know what i'm saying like yeah. we gotta yeah. this is what memories are and history is it's like the things not just like the next thing and having it just for now like i'm trying to also be present but it's like i'm super sentimental and like i really care about the past and it's really hard for me to just like forget about the past and not make it part of my present like unfortunately good and bad but it's like i'm i'm super sentimental and like people need to be more sentimental about our indigenous history and like the history before the colonization and like the things that we actually made instead of you know promoting the things that other people made and the the story that other people tell that we don't really have anything to do with like we need more i don't know you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about i I sound like the old man on the porch right now for sure (laughs) i think I don't know. I really, oh my gosh, I really love this I, this thing that you just brought up, though. I mean, the, the Harlem Renaissance. If, if anyone is to bring this back, I don't know. I I kind of want you to do it. <laughs> I know. I, I know you were saying that it's like mm, you have your reservations about it, but God, I want to see this happen. <laughs> it, it just, it's just like like i said it takes like bravery and fearlessness and a part of that is not having doubts and i don't have doubts about myself i just have doubts about the society and like because because i really um i was just talking to somebody about because you know like the protests and stuff happened in atlanta like after the george floyd thing and it was like really bad and and then after that in the city you started seeing like every other street corner people selling black lives matter t-shirts so it's like i was talking about on my last a couple podcasts ago like the twin the two-faced year 2020 because it's like it's so many good things happening and it's so many bad things happening like at the same time and like I feel like that was an example of it where it's like of course I want people to know that black lives matter but are we watering it down and like making it mean less when every other street corner has this shirt selling for 15 20 25 dollars it's like what are we doing like are we just doing it to make the money off the shirts or 
does it mean something? Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, it's been this whole year has been like us doing the right thing and the wrong thing. And it's like, if if I was like, okay, I'm gonna start this. I'm gonna be the forefront of this. I would just be super picky about the people that follow me because I wouldn't mm-hmm. want my message being misconstrued or mistold because that's another mm-hmm. that's another uh, product of social media is like people taking your stuff out of context and making it mean what they want it to mean and taking credit for what you're doing on top of that. You know, it's just so many things. Yeah. So it's like if I did it, it would not be on social media it would like be in real life and it would be the kind of thing that like you hear about but you don't know if it's real or not i feel like that would be the coolest thing like like one of those societies where it's like have you heard like have you seen that i don't that's just that's just a rumor that's just a conspiracy i want one of those so like yeah if you hear about something like that and you hear my name in it then it's probably true but you won't see it on the internet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you tell me <laughs> when, you, when you start this up? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like, but the thing is, it's like, and and it's like, I'm good at talking about it, but at the end of the day, like, what do we really want? Like, and I have a personal flaw of not knowing exactly what I want for sure, for sure. Like, I know mm-hmm. what I want my journey to be, but I never really know what I want the end of it to be. Like, I'm cool with the journey. Like, I'm yeah. cool with that part. But it's like, with something like this, I don't know, I guess the journey would be, or the product, or the want, would just be like keeping something alive that's real you know like <laughs> that's a lot in itself but i know what you i i know what you mean i like super resonate with what you're saying it's like i don't know like in my projects or whatever like that like i was given the choice of like if i wanted to do stuff on hawaiian stuff you know like research on hawaiian issues right and it, it's a heavy burden it's a heavy burden when it's like something like this right and I just like I just have so much anxiety about doing it right. It keeps me up at night. And I don't know, like I think that there's people doing it, but like it comes at a cost. It's not easy, especially when it's your own story, right? And your own history. Yeah. I see sometimes people in my department like do stuff with you know languages that they don't have a cultural tie to. Um, or like, you know, like anthropology stuff or like linguistic stuff in general, like they're going to be like, I'm going to study this language, even though they don't have a, anything kind of to do with it. Right. And I'm, sometimes I feel, I find myself like really envious of those kind of people because like, I don't know, I just feel like it's so much easier for them to do this kind of work without feeling like everything that they're doing is not going to do, I don't know, like the justice of like what this deserves, right? Like this kind of this kind of project is like is amazing right like in 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 theory and and it's just i just feel like i don't know it's hard to meet the standards of 
you know what you would have to it because it's so important to you, right? Yeah, like that's a situation where you kind of have to celebrate the steps as opposed to like the whole stairway because it's yeah. not a short stairway and those yeah. steps take a lot so mm -hmm. just breaking it down like that and just knowing that everything you're doing is kind of like a like when you throw a rock into a pond and it has like the ripples like you're the rock you're under the water so you don't see those ripples but like those ripples are there you know what i'm saying like as long as you keep throwing the rocks and you never know like what it'll bounce off of or who it'll who it'll hit so yeah. you kind of just gotta stay focused and and have that kind of approach to it like this is the kind of advice that i wish i could give myself it's so hard. I can I can give advice all day without, without internalizing it myself. It's so hard. I think it's better that that we're recording it so I can listen to it and and I can take notes and act yeah. like I didn't say it myself. Cause like it's really true. That's, because that's um, somebody else telling you. Yeah, cause I just had a conversation yeah. about uh, like confidence with somebody, and um, and I had watched a video about some like a personality type and it was about uh confidence and they said that a sign of confidence is when you can influence others and they were like you might not even like know it but like when you have the ability to influence others it's because they they resonate with you like they kind of feel your energy and they feel your confidence enough to be inspired so that should tell you that you're doing something right when you can make somebody else get up and move, you know, without even telling them to get up and move. So it's like, yeah. you kind of have to, because you you inspired me like, you know, just with your IG posts, like we ended up turning it into a whole podcast. So it's like, yeah. you're, you're definitely, you're making those ripples in the pond, you know? It took me, it took, oh my gosh, you know how stressed I was after I posted that though. I I did, obviously, you get on, if you're posting these kinds of things on Instagram, I mean, obviously I'm passionate about it and I made the choice, but I, I got negative response too from people who are from Hawaii who are like, well, you know, this happened a long time ago. Uh, like, do you, I, I don't know, these, these kinds of things, right? And so, yeah, but I don't know, like what you're doing with your podcast is like, like, I don't know, I've never really thought about all these parallels until now either, right? And so I feel like oh, I really, really appreciate the conversation. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you having the time, man. Um, my mind usually uh, makes relations and parallels to things. Like, that's one thing I appreciate about how I think. Because really, everything is related. Like, at the end of the day, we all come from the same stuff and there's no way that these things can move separately so like yeah stories repeat themselves history repeats themselves like personalities repeat themselves like i'm pretty sure you've met people that act the same that don't know each other that aren't related they act the same they got mm -hmm. the same facial features they got the same laugh they got the same walk like yeah it's the world man i just i'm an observer and i pay attention and i 
I kind of try to filter out the bullshit because I don't really care about yeah. a lot of bullshit. Like I, I don't care about bullshit at all, really. So you know, I got a lot of room to make those connections and pay attention to the right things, just because I'm not worried about a lot of other dumb shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. These kinds of conversations are just like, I think when we're talking about like before about like what kind of what we need to make progress, right? Or like what do we need to shake things up? I mean, I think at bare minimum these conversations need to be had. Because, like you were saying before, like, I don't know, like, there's just generally, like, a lot of times, even if we are kind of aware of a lot of inaccuracies that are taught to us, like, at the end of the day, we're still not even aware of what we don't know, right? Until we have these kinds of conversations. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that's the bare minimum, but I think it's I think that pretty exciting. <laughs> and that's the thing, it's like... There's no way, literally, there's no way we would have been able to have this conversation if we weren't inclined enough to go to China. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's not too many people that are inclined enough to even leave their hometown, you know, leave their state. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. a lot of those conversations can't be had because of that. And it's like, yeah it would definitely reshape our society. Like even the society of people who travel is pretty different from the society of people where you're from. And that's for a reason, like, because we get to have these conversations and these different perspectives. And like, (laughs) like my first year in China, um, we were at a bar in Guangzhou, uh, we were at the brew and it was someone's birthday and this was like before they remodeled so they used to have like people uh basically it was like an open mic type of situation where it's like yeah somebody was playing the guitar and if you want to get on the microphone you can get on the microphone so of course i got on the microphone and like i was freestyling and stuff and um just really i was drunk so it wasn't even like close to my best stuff but you know, it was okay. Yeah. And so the whole time, yeah. it might have been like maybe like 10, 15 minutes or something like that. And the whole time, this like old white guy was sitting at the bar. And so after I'm done, like I go to the bar and uh, he like buys me a drink. I'm like, oh, appreciate it. He's like, yeah, he has this <laughs> thick accent. It's like a, I think it's like a, harsh british accent like almost irish kind of harsh wow but i think he's like from the uk or something and uh he was like yeah i really like what you did up there uh um did did you that's that kind of was like like jazz like how you improv it there and stuff i'm like yeah yeah it's kind of like that it's you know hip-hop jazz whatever same stuff he's like yeah yeah that was really cool that was really cool and then like out of nowhere the conversation flips because this is like 2015 so this is like uh i forget it's sad that like i forget which shooting happened or which black killing happened from the cops in 2015 but like i want to say it was like uh the was it eric maybe maybe eric garner 
uh, I, I, I said it on my Made I in China album. Uh, I forget, but it was one of those killings that had happened. And it was, maybe it was a couple. Maybe Mike Brown had happened that year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like something like right after Mike Brown that happened. But it was like a couple back-to-back events. Um, yeah. That happened. So like out of, out of nowhere, the conversation flipped. And he's like, man, it's a real shame. He was like, you know, where you from? I'm like, I'm from America. He was like, man, it's a real shame what's happening mm-hmm. over there with the black people. And I'm like, yeah, tell me yeah. about it. And um, and this is the part that got me. He was like, "Yeah, it's crazy because me myself, I consider myself a white supremacist, and by that I mean that I want the white race to survive and thrive and keep going. I care about my white race, but even though I'm a white supremacist, I still think it's terrible that they're over there killing black people." And I'm like, "Man." Oh my God. These are international conversations like at their finest. Because you can't you can't talk like that in America. That conversation doesn't happen in America. Like that conversation doesn't happen no. with certain Americans, you know, with certain yeah. people from the UK. So it's like that was like super eye-opening because it's like wow, like and so you know, we kept talking after that. Like we were talking for a minute. Like until he left, because I think he like lived in walking distance. So like he got mm-hmm. drunk enough and he left. But like we had a whole conversation about this shit. And it just showed me like, damn, like America, I don't know what the fuck it is where everybody over here doesn't get it because everybody who's not over here gets it. Like <laughs> So what the, the hell is going on? Oh my god. That's so eye-opening. It's amazing. Like, literally, like, might have been, like, my third week in China. Thank you for continuing that conversation, though. I mean, like, it takes a lot to give someone the respect to continue that kind of conversation, even if, like, someone's telling you, like, I'm a white supremacist. It's something about me, man, like, where people feel very comfortable talking to me, like, perfect strangers feel very very comfortable talking to me like any kind of way (laughs) and it's like i don't i don't trip like i'm i'm not a reactionary kind of person like it takes a lot for for me to get riled up or thrown off like because i'm a listener at heart anyway so like if somebody want to spill their guts it's like most people don't expect you to do that in return and like that's not the kind of person I am anyway so that's cool like <laughs> so a lot of times people just yeah. want to vent and like say what's on their mind and like I just got one of those faces or something I don't know yeah I mean that says that to me about you too though like the first time I met you I was like you're really nice like and I don't even okay when you were asking me like when we first met I feel like we might have different different stories because I remember the first time I, I remember meeting you you said I, I met you before <laughs> but I just remember coming away with that where like I said to you like oh my god it's nice to meet you and then you're like I think I met before <laughs> and I was like oh my god was I drunk and like you like didn't give me a hard time about it at all and I was like how nice <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, like when you just like someone who oozes positive vibes, that's that's you. <laughs> really, I'm just a a mirror 
and I just reflect what I'm giving. So that's really all it is. Um, I think my first recollection of you is uh, I think you came to one of the shows that I had, um, mm-hmm. and you were twerking. That's how I remember seeing you the first time. <laughs> so it wasn't even like a real conversation. It was like I forget what song was on, but I was definitely hyping it up. I was like, "Hey, get it, get it, twerk, twerk, something like that." And you were definitely twerking. And um, I don't think we met formally then, but that, I definitely remember that for sure. Was that a Rebel Rebel? It definitely was. Oh my god. See, I don't really remember that many, like, I don't remember a lot of names of places in China, but I do remember Rebel Rebel. <laughs> oh man. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Rebel Rebel was so classic. So that might have been before. <laughs> oh man. Oh. I remember meeting you, um... So not at Rebel Rebel, but, and I think this might have been after that, I don't know, but like this was, do you remember that shawarma place? Yes. Like, yeah, around there. <laughs> I was eating a shawarma and I was like, hi, I'm just so nice to meet you. <laughs> man, I missed that place. I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Good times. I don't know. Good and bad times. What was your experience like in, in China? If you were to summarize it. <laughs> um, Guangzhou was great. Like, I didn't really have a bad time in Guangzhou at all. Uh, Beijing was the turbulence. And that was, like, my last year in China. After? Yeah, like, I stayed oh. in Guangzhou for three years. And I think I moved in, um, in 2018 to Beijing. I was out by that time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was a big difference. Um, Beijing. What? What was different? Um. Well, Guangzhou's weather is better than Beijing's, I think. Um. Mm -hmm. Just because I don't really like the cold, and they like stayed cold forever in Beijing, like really cold. Mm -hmm. Um. Mm -hmm. And Beijing was way bigger, and like bigger wasn't really better because it like wasn't like more stuff to do. It was just like things were more mm-hmm. spread out and inconvenient to get to. Um, mm. I didn't really like that, but um, the, like if it was smaller, it would be cool. But it was just too big, and and then plus my management yeah. at my job was crazy. Um, I got a mm. podcast about that too, called Horrible Bosses or something like that. Y'all check that out. I was listening to that one. Yeah, like I, I was kind because I didn't say their names, but I was definitely talking about them, and like that was before shit hit the fan. So like, it was a very crazy yeah. year in Beijing, but the people were cool. Like the people, I met some really cool people in Beijing, like foreigners and like Chinese people, and um, it was a few cool things to do. Like I wish like. Guangzhou people were in Beijing or either like the Beijing spots were in Guangzhou then that'll be perfect mm. <laughs> because like yeah. Beijing overall really it was crazy it was it was just too crowded um too cold like I got in a a bike accident there um oh my god like <laughs> it, <laughs> I might as well tell the story since I brought it up 
So it wasn't like you know like the small electric bikes that you charge up. Like every a lot mm-hmm. of people in China had those. And it was even worse in Beijing because they actually had lanes dedicated to those bikes. And you know rush hour is crazy anywhere in China. So it's even crazier yeah. in those like small designated lanes in the morning. So it was one morning where I had just had a situation at work where like I didn't want to be on thin ice and I wanted to make a good impression but I was running late for work so I was like fuck like not a good time to run late for work after all this shit like I gotta I gotta be on time so instead of riding instead of riding like properly with the flow of traffic I wanted to save time so I was like riding against the traffic but it was rush hour and that was not a good idea um Uh. (laughs) because like it was super packed i had to like swerve out of people way and stuff and the street was wet so a lady was coming towards me i was coming towards a lady um i think we moved in the same direction to try to avoid each other and like i swerved too late and she swerved too late And she ended up falling. And I was like, oh shit. Like, it was, it happened in like 10 seconds, but it felt like an hour, like in my mind. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit, like, what do I do? Like, do I stop? Do I do? Like, it was just a lot of shit going on in my mind. And long story short, like, cause the lady, like, she fell against like the rail, and there was people riding by us and shit. And obviously, like, I'm the only fucking black person on a bike, like, anywhere around this motherfucker. So it's like, (laughs) I'm like, shit, I'm running late for work. I can't be late. I got to teach class. So I had to pull off. I had to pull off on her. Um, I don't think she was hurt. Well, like, seriously hurt. She was hurting for sure. Because she was, like, moaning. But I don't think she was, like, hurt, hurt. But Beijing yeah. was just too much, yeah. man. It was, it was too much. But Guangzhou was cool. So I visited Beijing for like a week, and you know it's obviously one thing to visit. My impression of Beijing was that it just seemed to have a lot more like culture culture than like Guangzhou did. Yeah. But Guangzhou has like a lot of like little holes in the wall kind of places to see, which was really cool. Yeah, Guangzhou was definitely more of an international city. Mm, I didn't realize that. I guess I always thought that like Beijing would be a little bit more. I, I thought that it would be just as international, but like just maybe like a different type of international. Like, because like Guangzhou has like a lot of like factory work too. But if you say that, then I don't know. I guess yeah, I don't know. I've never lived in Beijing before. <laughs> Yeah, um, like they're just a lot more uh, traditional in Beijing Mm. and like Guangzhou it's like I guess because like the people I don't know my impression was like Guangzhou was just a younger more modern city and like the people Mm. were more about like young modern things but Beijing was like very a lot more old people. It was a lot of old people around, um, and just traditional, old school 
kind of yeah. a lot more strict as well. Mm. Was that reflected in your job too? Um. <sighs> yes, it was. Because I'm thinking about the parents. Um, mm. The parents and the, the people who I worked with. It definitely was. Uh, it was no flexibility. You know, everything was just their way. Even if it was wrong, try it anyway. Keep trying it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was no flexibility. Uh, so that turned into, like, a lot of teachers just not even really caring. Because it's like, I can't... I got to do what you want me to do anyway. So it's like, whatever. Uh, but it was terrible management there, man. Like, it that's a whole story, man. It's it was a whole podcast before it got crazy. I said, but like after the podcast, it just yeah. got even crazier. Is that why you left, or were you kind of just like done with it, or did you have like? Because you were there for a while, so it was kind of like. Well, I was there. Like I was only there a year, um, mm. and like the madness started happening like within three months. And it just got worse and worse and worse. Like every time I thought, like, ah, oh, maybe it'll get better. Like every, the management. It was just, the, it was a, uh, and it was foreign management too. It was all Americans who, basically, the American management were doing things behind the owner's back. The owner was a Chinese woman, but um, she was like kind of Chinese American because like I think she grew up in Taiwan. And like she lived in America for years. Like she got a house in California. So she speaks English. Like she's a businesswoman. And she put these foreigners in charge. But they were like keeping stuff like behind her back, mismanaging the money, like not following her orders and stuff. So everything kind of hit the fan with me because like I, I kind of spilt the beans on like all the shit that they was doing. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was not EF. Like it made EF look like fucking working at Google or something. Like, oh it man, was terrible. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting to say because I feel like a lot of people had like a negative experience with EF. But if it's, if you're like comparing it to that and you're saying that like EF is like Google, then <laughs> man, saying something. I was missing EF when I was there. Because it was just so trash, like, you know, like yeah. the curriculum was trash, and like we we couldn't do anything about it. The management was trash, um, but it also had a lot of perks, and that's why like everybody there took the job because it was like they provide housing, like you get to eat on campus. Uh, wow. Like it was just a lot of, sh but then it was a lot of bullshit too. Like it was way more bullshit mm -hmm. than benefits. And yeah, <laughs> it was just a whole. Mess, well, you man. like just got out then, right before the COVID. Stuff. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. Like I came, I came back the summer before that, and and I was thinking about going back. Um, mm. like that, jan like this past January, like right when everything started going crazy. Like I was thinking about going back, but luckily, my old school in Beijing was like incompetent because like I needed some documentation from them and they're, they're like oh no we don't have it and then they're like oh maybe we have it but I can't help you until after Chinese New Year 
and then you know all that stuff was happening during Chinese New Year so like I never got what I needed but it was like I don't really want to go over there anyway because because it is this shit so it turned out to be a blessing in disguise but uh it was just a whole lot of shit like you wouldn't believe it man wow yeah, maybe we could we could talk more about that. <laughs> hey man, I got I got horror Definitely stories for sure. Want to hear? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm like afraid, so my my phone keeps telling me that I have like five percent battery left, <laughs> so I'm kind of scared that I'm just gonna cut off. So that, if I do cut off, that's why. <laughs> okay, so let's um. We gotta find a way to wrap this up because we we discussed a lot of stuff. This is gonna be, this is a fantastic episode. Like I'm very glad you had the time. Hello. Yeah, I, I thought the, I thought the cutoff happened, but um, no. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for making the time. This was definitely a pleasure. I definitely enjoyed it for sure. I hope you did. Same. Yeah, I learned so much, and like it's a. Yeah, definitely. I'm really inspired. Yeah, we, we could definitely have more of these conversations. Yeah, we could do a part two, part three, you know. Yeah, definitely. I'm all for it, man. Because uh, we didn't really talk about a lot of stuff on the outline. I really didn't look at it until like two minutes ago. I kind of forgot about it. But I like the, the direction our conversation went anyway. Yeah, we, had no, we didn't have a hard time. <laughs> that's usually how it goes that's usually how it goes fortunately but we could definitely get a part two cracking thank you again thank you to uh everyone who's checking us out floss dog radio um you want any you want to shout out anything or plug anything before your phone dies um hmm. i don't know if i have any i i have an instagram but i don't know if i if it's important enough <laughs> um Maybe I'll post more of these things on on there. If you want to see the the comic strip that we are referring to, my Instagram is at m i t c h i h a i. So you can see the some of the things we're referring to in the podcast. Or and I'll also definitely post it on the cover. Um, yeah. Man, have a good evening. You still got a lot of evening you left. You too. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of hyped Me. off of these these cups of coffee I've had, oh, so I got to find something to do. <laughs> oh, man. It's quite late there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I watch a movie or something. It's all good. Well, have a good night. It's been a really awesome talk. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You do the same. Be safe out there. You too. All right, bye. Take care.